0: Hope Hickerson was unable to join us this week due to some travel plans that she had. But we have with us guest co-host Graham Patterson, who is the producer of Noise Filter. It's great to have Graham Patterson on. You can find him with his podcast that just dropped, season two just dropped, called Refound Up on all major podcasting platforms. Thank you for joining us, Graham Patterson.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to, to be here. Cuba's success and
0: barriers with vaccines. Five vaccines for COVID-19 have been introduced in the market in Cuba. The vaccines include Abdallah, Sobrina 02, Sobrina Plus. These vaccines have proven to be 90% effective against symptomatic COVID-19 when given in three doses. The Cuban public has taken very well to the vaccine and the country has a vaccination rate of 86% for both doses and 93% for one dose as of
2: January 19th. This high vaccination rate includes everyone from the ages two and up. These rates are some of the highest in the world, surpassing some of the largest and wealthiest nations, an incredible accomplishment for a rather small country. Producing multiple effective vaccines and boasting a high vaccination rate is very impressive. But this accomplishment is no surprise. It is the result of continuous government investment and support in the biotech, medical sciences, and public health sectors. At this point in time, data
0: from Cuba's clinical trials have not undergone interrogation, scientific peer reviews yet. But the government has met virtually with the World Health Organization to begin the process of an emergency use authorization. The vaccines in Cuba use protein subunits rather than the mRNA technology like in the U.S. The method is easier and cheaper to produce at a larger quantity, and it's also easier to distribute, which would be an extreme benefit to low-income countries. Global health leaders think that this could be a great solution for the extremely low vaccination rates in low-income African countries.
2: For this to be a reality, the WHO would have to approve Cuba's vaccine and none of the five vaccines have passed the vetting process. The WHO takes into account assessment of production facilities, which at this time, Cuba says has slowed the process. Cuban officials believe that they are being held to the same standards as quote unquote, first world countries for their manufacturing sites and to reach this would simply be too costly. Not only would this approval be a win for Cuba and other low-income countries, but the world as a whole. The more countries that have high vaccination rates reduce the chance of further outbreaks of COVID-19 variants. This is a super inspiring story, Graham, how a country like Cuba has been able to
0: generate these amazing vaccines, which is undoubtedly saving lives. I think we should all be inspired by stories like this.
2: I completely agree and, you know, from my background in public policy and uh, international development, I know like my heart always goes out to stories like this and to the frustrations that the Cuban people, the Cuban medical establishment must be facing in their difficulty in getting these out to all the people that could potentially benefit from them. So yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on this story. Absolutely. The debate of regulations by age for trans-adolescents. Recently, there's been a large increase in teenagers looking to begin hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery. This has led to debates among physicians who provide these treatments for those, specifically teenagers, who are looking to utilize treatments to become better matched with their genders.
0: The group of providers from around the world released a 350-page document that acts as the basis for treatments for how insurers pay for them. The document includes the removal of standard psychological evaluation before hormone therapy treatment, but this is not the same for teens. The document says that teens need to undergo a psychological evaluation and have been questioning their gender for years before beginning hormone therapy and other treatments.
2: The treatments involved with gender reassignment are serious and may cause permanent changes. There have been situations where adolescents have begun treatment and then stopped or begun treatment and then reversed it. Some clinicians approve of these added regulations as they can ensure teens and adolescents are ready for the transition. On the other hand, there are clinicians who believe these are unnecessary barriers to care.
0: From this perspective, reassignment therapies can relieve mental anguish and trauma for patients. Making them wait longer is actually harmful. According to the guidelines, physicians should encourage patients to explore their gender without pressure from friends, family, and society in general. These guidelines advise withholding treatments due to the irreversible changes they can cause. The age ranges associated with each treatment are 14 for hormonal therapy, 15 for chest masculinization, and 17 for invasive genital operations. The comfort and approaches doctors are taking with treatment for gender reassignment from an early age are different and have led to debate. More time and data will tell us even more about the outcomes related to treatments at different ages. How COVID tests are inaccessible to the blind. Blind people especially those who live alone, don't have many options for getting tested for COVID. They're unable to drive to testing locations and ride shares, public transport and carpooling could potentially expose others to the virus. This means that the only real options for people who are blind who may have COVID are at-home rapid
2: tests. The New York Times reports, however, that these at-home tests are also inaccessible to blind people. This is because the tests rely heavily on visual cues and written instructions. Some blind people have been successfully using video call apps like Be My Eyes, which pairs blind users with a sighted person who can guide them through the steps of the tests. But these video calls can be difficult to navigate and not all blind people have access to a smartphone. In addition, involving other people makes the user's health information less private.
0: There are a few ways these tests could be made more accessible. The results could be delivered with raised bumps a blind person could feel to read them or the smell or temperature could change, though the change in smell may not be useful to COVID patients who've lost their smell due to the virus.
2: (laughs) Good point. Manufacturers could also provide a phone number in Braille for users to call to receive the instructions. Some at-home test companies like Abbott have said they will begin manufacturing tests with access in mind, but have released no specific plans as of yet. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, when this story was pitched to us, Graham, I was like, oh, yes,
0: we definitely have to cover this story. It not occurred to me, you know, all the above. What happens when we just think about things like ourselves and people like ourselves, but we definitely need to be reaching out to other communities, specifically those people who are blind Because it is important for people who are blind and all individuals with disabilities have equal access to these incredibly important tools so they can be safe during the pandemic. I couldn't
1: have said it better. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to
0: subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast. Follow us on social media and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show.
1: You can find me Hope Pickerson
0: at hopepickerson.com and you can find me at Dr Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr Derry that's d r d e r y
1: To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us the show as well as links to our social media go to NoiseForTheShow.com.